Hello and welcome to Punchboard Paradise, a bi-weekly podcast about the world of tabletop gaming and the topics that affect the board gaming community. In episode four, the Punchboarders talk about what we've been playing, give views on the topics of buying and culling games in our collections, and review the Stonemeyer Legacy game, Charterstone. Well, hello everybody, how are we doing today? Great. Pretty good. Yeah, uh, with this weather as bad as it is, we have been watching a lot of Netflix, which I don't normally do, but uh, that's what we've been doing. Hmm, what have you been watching? Uh, actually, the two binge shows that we've been watching are uh, The Great British Baking Show, which is a reality TV show about uh, baking in Great Britain. There's all these ama- There are all these amateur bakers who are uh, trying to be the best baker basically in this in this sort of reality tv show contest it's it's really interesting and i don't usually go for reality tv but i'm actually learning a lot in fact i could tell you the difference between a swiss meringue and a french meringue i don't think i could make it but i could tell you the difference so (laughs) i didn't realize they had reality shows (laughs) on netflix no oh yeah that's what i was just like well (laughs) it's you know they show all those shows that are already you know have been on other channels so pbs had this first i think Okay, I got you. But it's really great because, you know, the nobody is mean to each other. That's the other thing I really hate sometimes. Is they're all catty to each other and the the producers make up all this drama that really probably isn't even there anyway. And so no, it's all fake. Yeah. And so in this it's it's fun cuz they're all, they're helping each other out sometimes even when they're stressed out, you know. And baking to me is difficult cuz you can cook and nobody knows you messed it up, but if you mess up baking, it's pretty evident. So the judges who come by, you know, they they all have these great British accents, you know, and this woman named Mary Berry, she comes by, you know, and she'll she'll be judging them and lift up, you know, the bottom of this cake. And like she'll just, you know, the worst thing she'll say is, oh, looks like you got a bit of a soggy bottom there. That's a bit disappointing, really. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's perfect. Awesome. So, yeah, no, it's but it's really great. I, I actually enjoy it because I'm enjoying watching the baking stuff, you know, and then, of course, Lost in Space. So I binge watched some Lost in Space, and that's been fun too. Is that the old school one? It's uh, it's a remake, so it's not the oh, movie okay. from like the '90s or whatever, and it, it's certainly not the '60s TV show. It's it's a remake that they just started, and it's it's great. It's fun. Huh? I might have to check that out. Yeah, I totally I totally recommend it because it's it's a good popcorn flick. It's nothing amazing, but all the acting is nice and solid, and you know it's nice nice ten episodes of you know on the edge of your seat and then relax and then another tension crisis and then it's resolved and it's, it's fun. Gotcha. Okay. If I'll tell you one, my favorite Netflix show that is, uh, that I've watched, if nobody sees it, it's called the travelers. Oh yeah. This show, it's amazing. I, I, the acting is tremendous. It's got a great storyline. Yeah. I mean, it's a kind of a sci-fi futuristic type of thing where people come back in time and, jump into people's bodies and take over their lives but it's it's just really a cool show uh, definitely worth a watch stephanie my wife has said some good things about that so i do have to check it out but uh i've got a lot in my queue right now clef yeah well. <laughs> so but tell it tell me i know you went to mahoney though you went to mahoney this weekend you weren't watching netflix so tell me a little uh, bit about no. Mahoney. yeah i actually uh, got a chance to go out and play some games with uh, a couple of uh, board game uh, friends uh, andy and ryan they invited me out to a cabin that they had uh, rented out at a local state park. And they did this last year, and they, it was just like them and a couple other guys, and they stayed out there for the weekend and just played board games. 
And this year they kind of invited out everybody who was interested in coming out. And I didn't get to go out for the entire weekend between work and family, but I did get to go out on Friday night and most of the day on Saturday. Um, I drove up there on Friday night uh, with uh, Dan, uh, with a co-host of uh, Across the Board. Yeah. And we, we, we drove out there and got to get some games in in the evening. And then, like I said, we stayed all night. And then we came in uh, or we uh, played on Saturday. Uh, most of the guys that were there stayed most of the weekend. And they, like I said, they pretty much invited just whoever wanted to come out. And I would say at, between the times I was there, there was at least – I don't know, 16 to 20 guys that were out there. Wow. Um, yeah, and a lot of them all at the same time. So we had, oh, I think there was four different tables going at one point of uh, different games, and certainly all kind of different games. Uh, I know Dan was playing a lot of the Grizzled uh, co- uh, cooperative game that he really enjoys. He's, he's been, he showed those that to people, and they, people were just eating that up. They played that quite a few times. Um, I, of course, was playing some heavy Euro type of game. And then another uh, table was playing uh, Mansions of Madness. Oh, cool. So there was all kind. Yeah, they, they even had a big old uh, screen that they put up and then had the they had a projector that they put off their laptop so that you could see the – everybody could see the scenario. It was, it was pretty cool. If I ever thought that would be a game that I would play, I, I would have hopped in there and played it. But, yeah. You might we, actually uh, like that one. You think so? I think so. If – you, it's just you kind of get into that storytelling. There's a little bit of dice rolling, like a little bit of dice chucking, but for the most part, I think, I think you could get into the story. Hmm. Now maybe I'll have to try it out one of these days. That's definitely not one of those that I've even come close to playing anything like that. So maybe it is worth it. <laughs> I want to place a bet. I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> Will Clef like it or not? That should be a segment we should have on the show. There we go. It's the Mikey likes <laughs> it segment. Real quick, I'm just going to read off. So this week, that's I got to play Montana. I got to play Modern Art, Yokohama, Talk, Stockpile, Stauffer Dynasties, Downforce, three games of Two Rooms and a Boom, and most of a game of Tricarion. So I got to play a lot of games this weekend. So that was a lot of fun. That is huge. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So I got in <laughs> some Netflix, and Richie, you've been planning a, a, a birthday party. Yeah, I've been for... planning my son's third birthday party. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> we've been watching a lot of Blaze and uh, ordering cakes and all that different stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. I see. That's oh, awesome. Now I have to ask though, you didn't finish Tricarion. This hurts my heart. Well, it was my son's prom that evening, and I had to get out of there at a certain time to be back to, you know, take pictures and see him off oh, the yeah. prom. Oh, yeah, that's important. So, and we started the game probably a little too late, and it was, I had played Tricarion. You had taught me that, Chad, mm-hmm. but it had been like, boy, a year, year and a half ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those games where if you haven't played in a while, it's got a lot of rules. So, once again, Dan was uh, teaching the game to three people who had never played it. So there was a long teach and there is a lot of AP that goes on in that game. It is a really, really thinky game. And it got to, I think the third round. And I just had to say, Hey guys, there's just no way I'm not going to be able to finish this game. And everybody was cool with that. They all understood. And so we just kind of played it through the end of the third round and, and kind of scored up after the third round, just to uh, kind of get an idea what the final scoring was. You know, I like that game, and I like the mechanics of it. I love the whole worker placement worker placement action points. 
but the whole tricks and the theater thing sometimes just gets a little bit clunky for me. It's it's a lot clunky. That's the one thing that holds it back. I still really like that game, but that's the one thing that holds it back. Uh, did you guys play with the player powers? Um, no. Yeah. I don't believe so. And that's why no. it didn't go on my list of our last podcast, because I've played a lot without it, and there's so much going on that you don't necessarily need it. Some of those player powers, though, feel super strong. Like, there's one that can at the last minute you can rearrange who gets to perform on which night, which is huge. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that was a great weekend and I hope to do that again someday. That was a lot of fun just hanging out and playing games all weekend. So thank you to Andy and Ryan for inviting me out. It was a blast. Well, guess what, everybody? We have got an email. Oh, That's right. How about that? We got an email. <laughs> that's, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> So, Richie, would you reach into the mailbag, okay, the virtual mailbag, and pull it out and read an email? (laughs) Sure. All right, so we got an email from CJ, and his question is, I love to play board games, but my wife rarely lets me out of the house to do so. How can I go go about changing her mind? That's sad. It makes me me very sad to hear that. Yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Get a divorce? No, oh, no, 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 no. I'm kidding, <laughs> kidding, kidding. You're kidding, just going to end our, uh, our, <laughs> kidding, yeah. our advice kidding. email <laughs> podcast thing right yeah. there. Mailbag segment over. <laughs> yep. Over. Uh, I, I wonder, does this I, pl- does this person play with, with their wife at all? That's a yeah, good question. That's what that's I was about good. to say. Most of my plays are with my wife. I believe if I looked at my board game stats app, I think it says like 75% of my plays are two-player with my wife. So that's what I would always suggest to people try to find something. Even if it's a lighter game that you may not be into or a theme that you may not be into, try to find something that is attractive to your your significant other uh, to try to pull them in that way. But that still doesn't necessarily let him out of the house. Ha- I mean, I guess the question oh, yeah, is, is let him out of the house and that he wants to go over and play games with other people? Or is it the fact that, you know, he just doesn't get enough board games in. I mean, if it's that she literally doesn't let him, or I should say the significant other doesn't necessarily have to be a her. Um, maybe the best advice there is try to have a game night at your house so that your significant other sees that all it is, is, you know, a bunch of people coming together just to kind of have a fun time and maybe get that person involved in that game night to kind of show them what you're doing. Right. And my other advice would be, This is one thing my wife knows how much I love to play board games and she will play board games with me at times, not nearly to the degree that Richie, your wife does, but she she knows how much I love it. So she is more understanding for me to go out and play board games just because she knows how much I love it. Now, if you're somebody who loves to go out to, you know, do other things besides also playing board games, maybe that's a, you know, your wife's like, well, okay, can't can't do it all i don't know we'd have to ask cj exactly why he's uh not allowed to go out right and play more and, games. i mean i would assume that maybe she has stuff that she likes to do on her own too but here here's the thing that sometimes comes up when i hear about this or read about this is that sometimes people are saying oh my wife you know how do i get my wife to play with me now i know that's a little bit different but it, it seems a little bit related in the fact that th- there are households where Let's say, for example, if we're talking about your wife, that she is doing a lot of the stuff at home as well as working outside the house and and keeping busy with all these all these things around the house and 
doing a large majority of the cooking maybe and some of the household stuff. And sometimes if you want your wife to do that kind of stuff with you, you need to take stuff off of her plate so that she can relax and enjoy that stuff a little bit more. And by the same token, maybe if you want her to be okay with you leaving the house, then making sure that, you know, you're got you're sharing the household duties, you know, equally as well. So that stuff is getting done around the house too, in, in case that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. That would definitely be something to help somebody out. So like our game night is on Thursdays. And mm-hmm. so my wife knows that, you know, try not to schedule anything on that day. Cause that's when I'm going out and I try to just return the same favor. So if she wants to do something with her friends, you know, whatever, I'll take the kids and just let her go have her nights and she's doing the same for me. Right. That, that is actually really great advice. Uh, have a game night that you're like, hey, this and whether that's weekly, whether that's biweekly or monthly, you just have to you know, say to your significant other, hey, this is the night that I'm going to play board games and I'm going to such and such or, you know, I can have them come here. Have it be a select night and that might make it uh, a little easier for you to get out to, to play board games. Yep. Communication, I think, is the key in all this. But that's pretty good advice there, Richie. I think, you know, Clef, because we did have, I I talked to our friend Bryce, who is sort of like almost an Omaha action figure in the gaming community because he's so involved. But uh, I talked to our friend Bryce, and he just said, because Richie has this mellifluous voice that uh, needs to be heard from more. He's got a a dedicated radio voice. Maybe this should be Richie's thing, don't you think? Like a a segment, Ask Richie or something like that? Just Ask Richie. That's right. There you go. All right. Well, we'll folks, if, yeah, folks, if you want to hear more, more Just Ask Richie, you can post up on our guild here and uh, request more Richie. Less of those other two That's weirdos, right. more Richie. Right. All right. So, all right. Well, thank you for that email. Or, yeah, that email there, uh, CJ. And if anybody else would like to send in a question, please feel free. We are at punchboard paradise at gmail.com let's get into what we've been playing chad start us off well i recently finally got to play gloomhaven which i felt like was sort of a blind spot in my 2017 gaming uh bryce was nice enough we just talked about bryce here uh he uh was nice enough to offer to teach me the game so i could learn it and so i got to play that last week which was was interesting it was enlightening because i you hear so much about it and i think correct me if i'm wrong but isn't it isn't it rated number one right now on board game geek yep yeah climbed all the way to the top yeah that's so crazy to me that it did it in such a short time but but yeah it's uh and and once again i'll say because i said this last episode you always shock me on the games that you're trying to get to the table (laughs) I as feel like I need to be and... a well-rounded gamer, Richie. I try to <laughs> I play so. a little bit of everything. Doesn't mean I love everything, but I try to. And that's so I felt like if we're going to make a list, which we will I assume later in the year of our 2017 games once we try to get everything in there and stuff comes over from from Essen finally, then I should, you know, play some of these games that people have been talking about. But Gloomhaven is a uh, it's a dungeon crawler, but it's done differently. You don't have dice, you have cards, and there's a lot of hand management. So you have, it's also a legacy game, and you, you know, kind of power up, or campaign, I guess campaign slash legacy, because you're putting stickers on the board and stuff like that. But you're trying to, instead of rolling dice, you have a hand of cards that you have 
built up for your character and you have a bottom and a top to the card and you can either cho choose to play the generic version of the card or the bottom of one card and the top of another which kind of equates to your movement and your attack and you're trying to manage this hand because once you play the card then your hand is that that card is exhausted from your hand basically and there are ways depending on how you play it if you play it for the generic effect you get to draw it back up later if you exhaust it it's gone from your hand unless you can do a couple things i played a um a magician a, a mage sort of character that once per game i had this one card that let me draw all my exhausted cards back up so i didn't have to worry so much about using the special actions and having them gone for good so that was a nice perk but uh it's like i said it's a it's a dungeon crawler you're trying to you're doing a lot of fighting basically and there's a lot of story to be read there and the interesting part to me besides the card mechanism is where you can through legacy build cards that go into your deck for your fighter so or your magician or whatever and the way that you do damage too is by these deck of cards that you're turning over each time which is either a plus one or a minus one or a zero or a plus two and that as you play that can be augmented that deck as well so it was interesting it was interesting and clef i know you've played it i know you were this was not your kind of game i think no, but I did exactly what you just said. It, it's so hot that I thought to myself, I want to at least play it and experience what it is. So once again, I could talk to it. Um, now, I'll start off by saying I am not a dungeon crawl type of fan. I mean, I'm, I, I don't particularly enjoy D&D. &D. Um, I've, I've never played Descent or Imperial Assault, but I just don't enjoy, enjoy dungeon type of crawl games. I also am not a very big fan of cooperative games. I am much more of a competitive game player. So this thing had two strikes against it before I even started to play. <laughs> but like I said, wanted to give it a shot just to see what it was like when all the, you know, the hubbub was about. So Chad, are you going to be adding this to your collection? No. And I'll tell you, there are a couple reasons. I mean, I never would have gotten this in the first place because we never got I mean, I never got Pandemic Legacy Season 1 played. And it's not because I didn't really like it. It's just it was very hard to get it played with, with anybody in my groups. My wife wasn't really interested in having a new game to learn, even if it was just a couple rules every time. And there were other people that I game with that just weren't as interested in it. And then, of course, in our group, Clef wasn't interested because it's cooperative, which I understand. All those things mean for me. I tried it. I you, tried you it. Did. <laughs> you did. Uh, but I would just say anytime that there's there's a campaign game, it's it's really hard to get played. It's really a detriment. In that respect, I, I didn't even bother to do to to play it or to buy it, I should say. So, so real quick, Chad on Gloomhaven. Mm -hmm. I mean, did you find the mechanics to be interesting or any part of it, or did you kind of find yourself just find it to be eh, the whole time you played it? So the the card play was the most interesting part, and to your idea of the co-op mechanisms in the game, there's not a lot of quarterbacking that can take place because you can't tell your your teammates what cards you're going to play. You play them face down. Now, they can synergize, which is nice, because you can lay down cards that have certain symbols that will power up these little trackers, like you're creating this energy, and then other players can use that energy for special effects on their cards. So you could do that, but you can't talk about what you're going to play. So uh, there's not a lot of quarterbacking in that in that regard. 
I thought some of the hand management stuff was still interesting. It just, to be honest, it just didn't grab me. I, I'm moving further and further away from dungeon crawls. I played Imperial Assault for a little bit, and then I, I sold it. Um, but the reason that that lasted a while was because it was Star Wars, and I was playing with some other people who love Star Wars. So I I don't lean heavily towards that. In fact, I'd probably play uh, D&D more than I would a, a campaign kind of miniatures game. So I, I thought it was great, and I was really glad that – I mean, Bryce is a great teacher. I love having, having games taught by Bryce because he's really good at it. But uh, it was just an okay game. He said he mostly plays it solo, and it's a heck of a lot of setup for solo. So I, I couldn't see myself doing that. So. Yeah, that's what I was just about to ask, because uh, with a newborn and a toddler, we sometimes just don't get a chance to play together. Yeah. Uh, Jessica and I. So, But, yeah, the setup on that would be brutal. Yeah. I've seen a couple inserts for it that should make that a lot easier, but the insert also, <laughs> I think it was selling for – as much as much as or more than the game itself so and see that kind of game where it's legacy like that and it's a storytelling game for me most of the fun is going to come when you're when you're done with it and go hey do you remember that time when we ran into those orcs or you know and then you did this thing and then the the fireball exploded in your face or you know those kinds of things that you have stories for it, when you're playing solo, obviously you don't get to share that as much. I, now I know when I was watching Bryce play, I can see how some of that stuff is synergizing in long term. You're you're trying to get stuff done, and you retire your fighters, and so some of those things are kind of cool, even if you're doing them by yourself. But for me, the time and the money spent, I just wouldn't get to play it consistently. I was I was definitely glad to have played it, but it wasn't. Uh, it, it probably wouldn't be high on my list for 2017. Gotcha. Okay. But Richie, what's been uh, what's been hitting your table lately? <laughs> Not much, like I said <laughs> earlier. But <laughs> luckily, my parents came in town for uh, Knox's birthday, and they are card players. So they'll, you know, I got a ton of trick taking games back there, and they'll pretty much they're pretty much up for anything that I put on the table. Uh, so we got in a play of the Bottle Zimp. Oh right. And yeah, and it's a it's an older trick taking game that just got a re release from the Stronghold. Pretty nice production for just a simple card game. It's 37 cards and just a little bottle, a little wooden bottle in there. Uh, but it's pretty nice production and pretty cheap price. I think it was only like 13 bucks through uh, Miniature Market. But in the Bottle Zimp, what you're trying to do is score as many points like in every other game. You either play to 200 or 300 points, or you play where everyone has been the dealer twice. The way that a round works is that you deal out the entire deck, except for there's one neutral card, the 19, that goes into the middle of the table, and you put the bottle on top of that. The person to the left of the dealer will be the start player. There's three different suits, red, blue, and yellow. Red are, is mainly the higher cards. Blue is mainly in the middle, and then yellow is the lowest. And so the person who leads can play whatever card that they want, and then you have to follow suit if you can. Uh, if you can't follow suit, then you can play off. You can play whatever you want. And if all of the cards are above the price of the bottle, which is at the beginning of the round is 19. That's that card that was set in the middle. Then it's just whoever played the highest card, regardless of suit, takes the trick. If one of the cards is below the price of the bottle, that card basically trumps the rest of the cards, and it will take the trick. But it also you also have to take the bottle with it. And the bottle is not good, which I'll explain here in a second. <laughs> and then if there are multiple cards that are underneath the price of the bottle, then the highest among those will take the trick and the bottle. So on all of these cards, there's these 
just these coins. So like, think like Six Nymph or any of those other card games that just have those like the little bull heads or whatever, and those represent points. And in this game, positive points are good, but if you get down to the end of the round and you have the bottle in front of you, instead of scoring your score pile, you will score what they call the imps trick, and that's just four cards that were set aside at the beginning of the round. You'll score those as negative points, and you won't score any positive points for that round. And it, it is a slick uh, trick-taking game. It is jumping up there pretty quickly. We got in a few plays of it, and I would say it's, it's probably in my top ten for trick-taking games. Nice. It's Wow. It's highly tactical. I think you guys would really like this. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, it's highly tactical because you, you get to watch. I mean, you, you see all the cards that come out. You deal out the entire deck each round. So you know exactly what cards are out there except for the four that go into the Imps trick. And, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to play this because it plays best at three. We okay. played it at four. Um, but, yeah, we'll definitely have to get this to the table because I think you guys will like it a lot. What did your parents think when you when you guys played this? I know you've played a bunch of trick-taking games with, with them. How, how did this stack up for them? They liked it a lot. I'm pretty sure my dad ordered it. And, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and that's usually what they do. Like, they, I taught them diamonds, and then they just went out and ordered it. I uh, taught them Picomino. It's not a trick-taking game, but they, they will usually go out and get the game if they really like it. But, um, yeah, it's always a... a when my dad says, let's do it again, and we play right away, that's always <laughs> that's a good, a good sign. sign. Yep. <laughs> How long is a game usually? Oh, it's fast. It's probably 45 minutes. Okay. If you okay. do it, like we were playing where everyone's just a dealer twice. So that's about 45 minutes. You can play where you play to a certain point, a certain point threshold. And in the rule book, I think they recommend 300. I would say 200 would be ideal because there are... Because that was about, by the time we got down to everyone being dealer twice, usually the winner was about at 200 or a little over. And I don't think hmm. you would really want to go much longer than that. So Yeah. So that's, All right. Let's definitely put this one on our playlist. Yeah. We definitely get that played. So that's the the bottle imp. Uh, Clef, what have you been playing? Well, I got in a, another game of Merlin. Uh, Merlin is uh, by Queen Games and uh, designed by Stefan Feld. Mr. Feld, the magic man when it comes to wonderful, crunchy Euros with lots of great decisions. And in this game, it is a roll and move. Yep, you heard me right. A <laughs> roll and move. <laughs> Very unusual for a, for a crunchy Euro game. But he really did a really neat job in when you're rolling, you have each, every player has three knights that they have out on this, you know, round board that you go around and when you roll your dice you're going to roll all three of your colored dice that correspond to your knights and then you get to choose which one of your knights you want to move with which die so you're not just like rolling one die and having to move and then you also have there's a merlin piece that's out there that's used for everybody and everybody rolls their own white die and then they get to move merlin now the the neat thing, when you move your knights, you can only go clockwise. But when you move Merlin, you can go either counterclockwise or clockwise. So you got a little bit more movement. But you got to watch when the other players, because if they move it, you, they might move it away from one of the action spaces that you were trying to get to. So you really got to make sure you use Merlin when it's the right time. Um, like I said, I got a four-player game of this in the other night. And I played with uh, Dan and Ryan, both of the guys from uh, the Across the Board podcast. And then Ryan's neighbor, uh, Aaron, came over, and and we played a four-player game, like I said, and it was just 
really fun game. It's really got a lot of great decisions in it that you're trying to, well, you're moving around, you're doing these different actions, you know, you, you're collecting flags and shields and building material, and then you're going and building different building things that will give you different actions and just kind of uh, those type of layers that you kind of get in a nice crunchy Euro. And as you're moving along, now one thing I'll say about this this game, most of Stefan Feld's games, you get these huge high point totals. Like, you know, Trajan or Castles of Burgundy, you know, you get into the 200, 300 points. In this game, an average score I think is probably around 60, 70, somewhere in that range. They actually give you 100-point tokens. Like, if you've gone over 100, you get that little token like he usually has. I can't see how anybody would ever get over 100 points. So if there's somebody, a listener out there that has scored over 100 points in this game, please, you know, email me and let me know what am I doing wrong because I I don't think you can get that high. Um, but however, I did like the fact that throughout the game, like Dan and I were both kind of behind Ryan and Aaron. They were both like way out in front. And by the end of the game with some uh, little extra points and stuff that I had accumulated it came down to, I only lost the game by, I think, three points to Aaron. I actually ended up in second place, and it was really, really, really close at the end. And so I like games like that, that you can kind of have almost like a, you know, like a surprise comeback that it's just not whoever's just leading by the end is going to win. So uh, overall, I really love this game. I would own it if it wasn't an outrageous price point right now, and it's literally like almost $100 if to buy it off of Amazon, and that's like the only place you can find it. So it's not hitting my collection at this moment just because of the price point. But when it comes down or if I can find a used copy cheaper, definitely I'm going to add this one to my collection. Now, Clef, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews on this game so far. And a lot of it seems to come down to there's just not enough ways to mitigate your dice. What would you say to that? I would say that that's not the case because, for first of all, like I said, you're rolling all of your dice at the same time. So you have the option of which person you want to move at which time. Also, there are different abilities that you can get, like different, um, these things they call flags that you get that will, you can like either flip a dice or maybe you can move over to the other side of the board or you can use another, like an opponent's knight that they're on a different action space and you can use their action. So there's a lot of different ways to get to the different actions. There's also these, um, well, they're apples that you get uh, in the game that you can just take an apple and turn a die to any number that you want it to be. So that's another way that you can uh, mitigate the dice. I never, you know, I mean, there are points where, boy, I wish I had this number, but it's not like I just the whole game was like, oh my goodness, I rolled bad again. You know, that you're going to get some rolls where you wish you had some different numbers, but I think there's enough mitigation in the game that I still felt like I was in control enough to do the actions that I wanted to do. Well, so how about with the with the movement and that sort of thing, how the board state changes all the time? Would you say there's a lot of potential for AP then? No, uh, with the exception of the Merlin uh, token that can move before your turn, your player pieces don't move. And it's not like you're blocked off. Like if somebody's in one spot, it's not like you're blocked off from going to that spot. So if you're looking at your people and your dice when it's other people's turns, by the time it gets back to you, you can at least have a decent idea of a move that you want to make. And for me, I always, I kind of noticed, I would look at my all three dice and obviously look at my 
tokens out there and kind of continue to plan while it was other people's turns on, okay, well, if I'm going to do this and then I can use this dice to do this. So I didn't feel like the AP was that bad. And I mean, I feel like we probably finished a four-player game in, in under two hours, which, you know, I mean, for some people, two hours would be a long time. But for a nice, crunchy Euro like that, I thought it was it moved along well. Never really felt all that many times that there was uh, too much AP going on. Okay. So how does it rank against the other uh, Felds? Ooh, that's a, I mean, Castles will still be number one, and I, and I don't foresee anything maybe knocking that off for a while. But um, I would put it up at least in my top five Felds. I would, I would say that for sure. I'd really have okay. to think about mm. it to see if it moved up uh, into them. But definitely in my top five. I really, really enjoyed this game. I'm, I am real, I'm, I'm going to have to beg Dan to maybe let us borrow it so I could show it to you guys, uh, see what you guys think of it. Wow, okay. Yeah. So, Dan, do you hear that? I would like to borrow Merlin. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, anyways, that is uh, Merlin by Stephen Feld. Okay. So, guys, now let's get on to our discussion topic, buying games and culling the collection. So, first, my first question on this topic is, and Chad, we're going to start with you. What makes you decide to purchase a game to add to your collection? Well, obviously, there's a lot of a lot of factors that play into it. Hype is a big one. Sometimes I'll get sold by listening to other people talk about it, obviously. But I tend to do a lot of research. I'll research, and it, he's not for everybody, but one of the things I'll watch is I'll watch Rado play through some of it so I can get a feel for what the game is like often. And I'll look at reviews and stuff like that. Then I also have to take into account, from what I can see, will this get played? So, I mean, Gloomhaven, uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 2, I'm never going to get those because I can tell that those games won't get played, whether I, you know, whether I enjoy them or not. Right. Okay, Richie, what uh, makes you add one to your collection? Nowadays, it's definitely the will it get played or do you guys own it? Yeah. So... That's a, yeah, that's another big one. Um, but like, cause like Lisboa came, you know, was on sale for like 50 bucks a couple of times. And I kept putting that thing in my basket. And <laughs> then I was like, Chad has a copy. Clef has a copy. No way my wife's playing that game. Once she comes down and sees the board set up, she's, she's going right back upstairs. <laughs> I'm out of here. Right. <laughs> so I'm trying to avoid making those impulse purchases in that, but uh, yeah, is it going to get played? Um, is it interesting? I, you know, I go after a lot of small, obscure card games, and and, and board games for that matter. I I do try to look for games that people don't have around here that are good, but uh, that I can you know show off basically. Cool. Uh, what about you, Clef? Well, I definitely. I'm cult of the new, and I like to have some of the newest games. And so I have a very bad, I have a problem, and I'll admit it. I like to buy new games, and unfortunately, the games that I buy, the big heavy Euro type of games, are not exactly cheap. So it's definitely, um, sometimes I think to myself, you know, wow, why did I buy that game when you have it or, or Chad has it? And once again, like you said, probably going to be played just with us. Now, I do have a couple of other different groups that I do play with. So sometimes I am not 
as much of, you know, well, no one's else is going to play this without you guys. I do have other people. So that certainly helps. And I was thinking about this example the other day. For me, if I just hear a mechanic or something that just sounds cool, I'm going to get it. Like, for instance, uh, uh, Gentis or Gentis, however you want to pronounce it. I remember watching an episode of uh, Heavy Cardboard and, and they were playing it. And I just remember hearing them say, you know, well, you can put a time tile or you can put a double time tile, but it will hurt you next round for these actions. And I was like, wow, that just sounds awesome. And I just, boom, went right ahead and just pre-ordered it immediately and then got lucky because it really kind of blew up and it was, a you know, everybody kind of wanted the game and it was out of stock. I mean, I know, Richie, you went to try to get it after, you know, you played it with me and it was already gone. Yeah, it was uh, impossible to track down. Right. Now, of course, since then, TMG has taken over the rights and it's a Kickstarter and it's going to be a beautiful deluxe version. And I'll have my boring old version, but I still have my version when nobody else does at this moment. So I'm happy about that. So that was like a really good success story of me going kind of more impulse buying. But on the other hand, you know, I've bought some Kickstarters here, especially recently that I've gotten in and I'm just like, oh, my God, this this game is terrible. And boom, <laughs> there I just spent all that money. And now I've got this game that I'm like, I'm never going to play this game again. So anyway, so that's me. Definitely, I think, cult of the new, the, the hype, and uh, just hearing a mechanic, that's what makes me buy a game. So being cult of the new, especially right now where there's just thousands of board games that come out every year. Like when I first got into the hobby, trying to like I would try to keep up with those new games. You know, like now, how many games is too much to have in one collection? Like, Chad, do you think you have too many games or I mean, should we play truth time now and tell everyone <laughs> how many games we actually have in all each of our collections? Uh, I can, I can tell you that it's over 200. I have my, um, BGG. I have my expansions in there, so I have to subtract those out. It's, it's over 200 somewhere and it probably doesn't need to get much larger than that. If I'm being honest, because there's a, that's <laughs> right. a lot of, that's a lot of games to play. I like Clef. I like playing the new games because really what I like is to get a new game and figure out how it works. Kind of like taking apart an engine almost and going, ooh, this is neat. How does this work? And my personality is such that I like to delve into the new thing and figure out how it works. And I am not as much the type where I want to take a game and play this one game until I completely master it like chess or something like that. That's less my personality. So that's a reason that I have more of those games. I also have more of those games because I kind of have a hard time getting rid of some of them because I think, oh, yeah, but what if so-and-so comes over? They're definitely somebody who would play this game, and then I won't have it anymore, and that would be really sad. So I probably need to keep this game just so when so-and-so comes over, they can play this game, you know, that that sort of thing, which is unrealistic at times. So, But I don't know. What about you? How, 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 does, how does your wife feel about the collection? Does she have a problem with it? Do you have a problem with, how, you know, the size of it? Uh, it's in – it's contained – I think she would have a, a big issue with it if it wasn't like I have a game room. I have a dedicated space for all my games and my collection. It's over 400 for sure. Wow. That's impressive. Now there's a lot of and card so, games there though, too. That needs yeah, to be said. A lot of card games in there. So, I mean, there's a lot of board games in there too, but a lot of card games. So, but it, it is all contained to back bedroom in the basement is my space. It has all my shelves in there. There's nothing laying on the ground. Uh, there, there's a bedroom back there that is actually functional. Uh, so <laughs> if any of that changed where like there's games strewn all over the place, then she would definitely have a problem with that. And I would, I would also have a problem with it. Sure. 
All right, Clef, your turn. How many games you got? Oh, maybe 20, 25, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's on your for sale shelf for sure. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. Um, I would guesstimate somewhere probably close to the 400 range also. Um, I think I have too many board games. I I truly do. Mm. There's no way I'm ever going to get them all played. I mean, there are games that are that I have played one time that are sitting on my shelf. There are games that I haven't played that are sitting on my shelf, but I, you know, that that's who I am. I just really like buying board games. And if I see a deal or a special, sometimes I'll get them sight unseen that I don't even know exactly what the game is, but it it looked good on the cover. So I'll buy it. And then it sits there on my shelf. So I definitely feel like I have too many board games but I'm okay with that, if that makes sense. I mean, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, I, I don't need as many as I do, but I, I love to have them. And do I sell some? Yes, and we'll get into that in a minute. But I feel like at least I do have too many, but I'm okay with how many I have. That's, that's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. No, it, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's addictive as far as getting new games, chasing uh, like uh, Chad was saying earlier, where it's like, you know what? I, I think I know someone who would really enjoy this game. And then you buy a game. Like I have games for my son. My son's three. I have games that he won't be able to play till he's like 10. <laughs> so, it, But you have him going, oh, but he'll be able to play this one day. So I right. want to have it. You and know? then he may not like board games. He may have absolutely no uh, interest in it. Right. So. Flash forward to like 10 <laughs> years later and you're like, what do you mean you're not into Aztecs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and, and addictive wise also, I mean, this is good. You know, one reason why we're called Punchboard Paradise is all three of us. I mean, we love new games because that the thrill of getting to punch out that new game and all that cardboard. I mean, this may sound a little weird, but I love the smell of a new board game with that that just that cardboard in there and then the sound of those things punching out Mm -hmm. that sounds really weird but that is part of the fun for me is when i get a new game is getting to punch it out and sort it all out and and get it all ready to play and learn the rules um i i and a lot of people aren't like this but this is a definite i think all three of us are are pretty close to this i think i would rather play a new game that i've never played before than most of the time playing a game that i've already played I get more of a thrill out of playing a brand new game as, as opposed to something I've played five, ten times or something. Yeah, as long as as long as long we're sitting down at the table and, the, and we're learning it from somebody who's read the manual first. I don't enjoy as much when we're slogging through like something that we've just cracked the manual on. But because that's like yeah, a lot of I'm reason. in the same boat there. But, yes, I totally understand. And that goes along with something that I, I heard the other day, which is really interesting. Part of the reason everybody thinks these legacy games are becoming more more interesting and and a bigger thing is that i think there was a study out that showed that the the like the dopamine release or something that you get from actually opening the game is highest than any other time in that game's lifespan basically so so i believe more than when you're playing it or anything else because you're discovering it so you're taking that lid off and seeing all the components and punching it and the smell and all that kind of stuff and so you know that's really what a legacy game is right you're you're opening a new box every time and you're getting that dopamine rush throughout the game. So it's a little bit of a different feeling, but hmm. interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So here's a question for both of you here and then I'll answer it. Have you ever made a purchase that you've kind of had to keep hidden from your, well, from you guys for your wife? 
I have not. We have, uh, like, I have a little board game budget, basically, my discretionary account. So, I mean, there's, there, it's almost always, she laughs at me because it's almost always at, like, zero dollars because when something goes in there, I usually get a board game. But, <laughs> so. Yeah. I, so, it's not going to be the college fund. Uh, right. right. <laughs> I'll be honest. I've done that, like, once or twice, but I don't, that's not really, in my opinion, it's not great for a healthy relationship. And we've got a budget, and so we try to stick to that most of the time. So it's it's not an issue. I've done that once or twice, you know. Um, but it usually it usually gets discovered anyway if that happens, I feel like, you know, anytime you're trying right. to do that. And like I said, communication earlier, communication's important. And so, you know, doing that stuff just doesn't really seem healthy anyway. So no. what about you? For, for me, it's, I mean, no, I've never like completely tried to hide anything. Um, sometimes like if a, a game will show up uh, from the, you know, the postman, you know, sometimes I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's one I bought like, oh, you know, six months ago and it's just coming in now, you know, type of thing. But uh, I don't I don't ever try to hide anything. And my wife knows, you know, same thing as you guys. I have a certain budget that I can spend on board games and she knows how much I enjoy them. So, no, I, it's nothing that I need to uh, to hide from her at all. I, I'd be interested to see, though, if uh, any of our listeners, if that's something that they feel like if they need to hide a game from their significant others or if uh, same kind of thing, if, if they're able to have like a board game budget that they get to use, that yeah. would be interesting. Mm-hmm. It, this is a tough hobby to hide yeah. <laughs> your purchases. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. like when yeah. Next versus Binion came in, it, there's no hiding that box. That's so. right. <laughs> no. <laughs> I saw I saw a post from a guy on Facebook that was trying to hide Ogre from his wife. That like huge, huge no. <laughs> board game. And it's like, Steve oh, good luck. Yeah. Good luck, buddy. Yeah. I don't know. Well, don't that. look at that corner yeah <laughs> yeah all right so we talked there uh, i think clef was talking earlier or i mentioned your your for sale shelf so mm-hmm. we're, we're all pretty good about culling games i think maybe <laughs> i actually i don't know how much chad sells but um so what when do we make that choice as far as you know this game just has to go is it like a particular like either it's just not getting played at all or is it just you played it, you hated it, so it's got to go. Yeah, the game sucks. I mean, there's just no reason to keep it. Um, I th- there For me, there are two types of games that I will get rid of or cull out of my collection. One, if a game is just no good. Like, I've played it, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, that is terrible. I would never play this with anybody else. I would never want to teach this to anybody else, so that I would be willing to get rid of. But the other thing that I have started to get rid of is when I have a game that I think is very good, but I maybe have a new game that I feel like is better and it replaces it. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. It's it's Terra Mystica and Gaia Project. I love Terra Mystica. I think it's a great game and I really have enjoyed it. But Gaia Project to me is better in every single way and i never in another would never want to pull out terra mystica myself and say hey let's play this over gaia project so to me i might as well get rid of terra mystica because it's never going to hit back to the table even since it's a great game so for me those are the two times where i kind of am willing to let games go richie what's your kind of thought process for letting games go uh it's a space because like i said i 
I want to keep everything I have contained to the shelves that I have. So if something big comes in or if I get a bunch of new games that I like, if something's sitting around that's not getting played, you know, I'll throw it up online and try to get rid of it. Um, and I, I mean, that even goes with games that I never even got a chance to play. I've had games where I've tried to get them to the table and none of the groups that I play with have any interest in it. So, you know, even though I want to play it, if no one else wants to play it, then it's got to go. So. That right there, though, that that can be hard to swallow. You're like, oh, if I could just yes. play this <laughs> once, I, I'm sure that, you know, because you spent money on it and you're not going to necessarily right. get a full return on your investment. So you, it hurts to do that. But th- that that happens. I, I do think it's interesting. There are sometimes... Uh, I end up selling games that I've never played, but I have played everybody else's copy, you know? So it's yeah. like, it's like if, if we want to talk about unplayed games, you know, there's people talk about a shelf of shame and I'm always thinking, okay, does your shelf of shame uh, include games that you've actually played, just not your copy or, you know, how does that work? Right. Cause right. then I have a pretty big shelf of shame in some ways. So, <laughs> but I don't count those for that, but I could see it being legit because I mean, what it it should count. I guess if it it your box has never been cracked open and put on the table, right? Yeah, I've got quite a few games that are that way. That I played somebody else's copy and was like, "Oh my god, this game is amazing!" And I bought it, and it has never cracked. Oh, I've never cracked mine open to play it. So that's that's pretty much you know same thing as not playing a game. How many games in your collection do you think you've only played one time? So, Richie, you said you had 400. How many do you think of that 400? Do you think I've only played it one time? And, I mean, you even enjoyed the game. It just mm-hmm. hasn't gotten back out to the uh, out to the table again. Whew. I was hoping you were going to say mean, games that I never played because <laughs> that list well, is you... a lot smaller. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, games that I've only played once, it, it's got to be a lot. Yeah. I would say because of the way we play games, it's like 40% for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a chunk, and it, which is takes me back to the what I said earlier is I, I do feel like at times I have too many games because that's the case. I mean, I look at my shelves and I think, oh, my God, that game is amazing. And as you guys know, I play a lot of games yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, more than most people do. And I still look at games on my shelf and think, oh, my goodness, that game is so amazing. But I've played it one time or maybe twice. And it's been a year since I've been able to play it again, but I don't want to get rid of it because I like the game and I might pull it out and play it again, but yet it's sat there and now oop, this new game came in. Oh, I'm getting that and playing that. Oh, here comes this new game. Oh, I'm definitely playing that. And eventually I'm thinking to myself, you know, in five years from now, what is my gaming collection going to look like? Is it going to be you know, Jason Levine, you know, 15,000 games just because of every all the new games that come out? Or is there a point where I've got to be, okay, I got to stop and play some of these games that I've had for all these years that I don't play as much. And to be fair, you're referring to Jason Levine from the Dice Tower where they did that video of his, yes. his house where he had, what, yes. what do you have, like a whole garage full? Did you, was there a final count on how many games there were? Yeah. I, They're I, working on counting I, it now for Guinness Book. Oh, my uh, gosh. Record, so he might have a world record? <laughs> I, I, I watched the video. I would say he definitely has a world record. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I've never known anybody to have anywhere close to that amount, which is another funny thing that when you think about that, we, I mean, talking here, we have, you know, between us 200, 300, 400 games each, and we're all like, 
oh my goodness, somebody who has 15,000 games is like, wow, that's just crazy. But obviously there's got to be people out there, maybe hopefully not people listening to this podcast, but there's got to be people thinking, oh, somebody who has 20 games, that would be a lot. And, you know, so it's funny how different people would look at different gaming collections as a lot compared to uh, other people's gaming collections. Sure. I think it yeah. all depends on how invested this is in you are in this hobby, whether it's the main hobby or a, you have a bunch of different ones and it's how much you can afford and also your gaming personality. So if you really like to get those 10 games that you really love and want to dig deep and find all the different strategies, you know, but that's great. More power to you. You know, that's, that's a, a, a good way to play too. It's everybody's personality is a little bit different, I think. Yeah. So what do you, maybe we should put up a, a guild page and I'd be really curious for everybody to answer a couple of questions. One, how many games approximately do you own? And then just kind of, you know, in your own thought process, maybe how many games are on the shelf of shame? Have you not played at all? And how many games do you have that you've just played once in say, you know, with, and maybe not even played in the past year. Maybe that's what we should say. You haven't played it in the past year. I, I'd be really curious to see what the listeners kind of, uh, what theirs looks like. Oof. Yeah, then you have to be one of those That'd hardcore stats people too. You got to better be keeping track of all your games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Richie, how would somebody be able to get to uh, to our guild page to be able to talk about that? On BGG, we are Guild Three Two Two Seven. So just hop on over there, and uh, we'll have a thread up and a couple polls to, for you to answer. All right. Excellent. Yeah, and go ahead and join too while you're there. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, don't just go there and comment. Please join. <laughs> okay, so we've been talking a lot about our collections and calling our collections. So we had an idea. We all three have a little bit of a for sale shelf. And like I said, some of these games maybe we didn't like, but maybe other people do, or games that we just are no longer uh, wanting to play. So we are going to run a contest to give away a board game. That's right. We're going to give away one of our board games. Uh, we're each going to, the three of us are all going to pick one board game from our for sale collection. And we're going to put that up. And whoever ends up winning this contest will get to pick from one of those three games. And we will send that game out to you. Um, Unfortunately, right now, due to shipping costs, that will be just for uh, the United States. Unfortunately, our international listeners, um, we appreciate you. And hopefully soon we'll be able to do a contest for everybody. But at this point, it will just be for uh, the state's people. So to enter this contest, it's going to be pretty easy. All you have to do is go to our Instagram, which is uh, at uh, the, excuse me, is at Punch, uh, Punchboard Paradise is all. Just at Punchboard Paradise on Instagram. Or our Twitter, same thing, at Punch... I'm sorry, Twitter is at Punch Borders. Is that right, guys? Mm -hmm. Right, at Punch yep, Borders okay. for Twitter. Yep, there we go. Or to our Facebook page, which is just uh, Punchboard Paradise on, on Facebook. If you go to any one of those three um, and join or like anything there of ours, all you have to do then is make a comment, and on that comment put hashtag Punchboard Paradise, and that will enter you into the contest for a free board game. What do you guys think of that? Does that sound pretty cool? Yeah, that sounds good. And this is a pretty good deal. And again, I want to reiterate because we love having our international listeners. Sorry, sorry, we couldn't get in on this contest for you, but uh, but we love having you tune in. So 
Thanks. Yeah. We'll get something soon. Okay. Well, let's move on to our featured review, guys. Uh, we're going to talk about Charterstone, the Stonemeyer le- legacy game. This is going to be a little bit different than we usually do. First, we're going to give you a quick rules run-through where we'll endeavor to avoid any big spoilers since this is a legacy game, and I'm sure not everybody listening has played it yet. Then after that, we'll kind of change things up. But First, Charterstone is a competitive legacy worker placement game for one to six players, and you'll be placing your workers out to actions on the board that allow you to construct your shared part of a larger village that you're sharing with all the other players. The game will start out very simple with kind of a standard worker placement mechanism, standard worker placement rules, uh, with the exception of kind of bumping each other as far as workers go this is something that uh, Jamie Stegmeyer likes to do for a lot of his mechanisms and kind of a little twist to worker placement but you're going to be doing those standard worker placement rules but you're also using stickers and cards that are going to change the board and change the rules of the game throughout 12 games total so that your game and your board are going to be different from everybody else's and that's kind of without spoiling too much that's kind of the basics of the game so now we're going to we're going to change things up a a bit like i said and since it is a legacy game we're going to give our general non-spoiler thoughts and and our review scores and then we're going to give you a big warning and finish with spoiler thoughts then for anyone else who's finished the game or just isn't concerned with it being spoiled for them all right so here we go charterstone let's uh start with the components and artwork clef what do you think about components and artwork for charterstone um, I, I think they're okay. Uh, it's, it's nothing special. Um, they, they do come with metal coins, which is nice. Um, the pieces are wooden. So, I mean, it's, I would say maybe this day and age, it's a, it's about average for a game. Um, the artwork was, eh, I don't know if it was my cup of tea. It, it, it kind of was kind of character or cartoonish kind of character. It, it was okay, I guess. Yeah, it's very app-like. Like you almost would see yeah. that artwork like on an iOS or Android app where you're like farming or something like that. Yeah. So that's, you know, nothing. I would just, I would call it average in my opinion for the components. Richie? I would have to agree. I The the coins are definitely the shining spot. The, I mean, the overall production is great. I mean, as far as like when you open that box, you see all those different boxes in there. Uh, that is impressive. But when you actually look at the like the board at the beginning, obviously it's going to be sparse. There's really nothing that you've unlocked yet. And then if you know if you're not really into that art style, then it yeah I would say it's kind of meh. The wood components are standard nowadays for different games, uh, but those coins are are fantastic for sure. See, you know, I thought that this was probably one of the strengths of the game. There was a very very clear aesthetic. Now. I can understand how the art wouldn't be your style. I certainly I certainly understand that it, it's an acquired taste, and it kind of reminded me of Imperial Settlers art, to be honest. But I would say that the aesthetic and the overall, as you kind of alluded to, Richie, the overall production design of it was one of my favorite parts. I thought it was really well thought through with the cards that you use and the way you place those you get those out of the index and place those in a certain way and that you everybody has their own box for their their villages that they keep their things in and that they write on and and 
do things that way. I thought that that was so smart for the way that that was designed. In addition to the the color scheme and those sorts of things, and like you said, the coins had for being as small as they were had a really good heft. So I I liked that too. And I guess, and since this is Stonemeyer, and I mean they their production on all of their games is high quality. So when I think of this, and then I compare it to like Scythe or Viticulture, it's I would say it's below those two as far as overall production. That's probably true, but that's a pretty high bar, though. Right, and, and you know that's a bar that Jamie has set, and I I don't know that this is necessarily this is a great product. It's a great production overall, but am I wowed by it compared to like the artwork in Scythe or just the components in Scythe and Viticulture? And it's just it doesn't live up to those, I guess. Okay. Right. Yep. No well, agree. let's talk about gameplay real quick. Obviously, we can't get into it very heavily because we don't want to spoil anything for anybody who who hasn't played all the way through or is going to. But just generally, uh, what did you think of the gameplay, Dr- Richie? Overall, it's simplistic worker placement, and it's just it's okay. okay. It was kind of a meh. The excitement of the legacy kind of overshadowed the gameplay, and then we can talk about the legacy component of that later. Okay, I can see that. How about you, Clef? It's hard to talk about the gameplay without going into too many spoilers, uh, and that's really difficult. I will say pretty much close to what Richie just said. I found it to be okay. The actual worker placement game is very spin- you know, simplistic. It's not uh, a real super brain burner at any point. Now, that being said... That may have been the intent of the game. You know, that may have been what, you know, Jamie was looking to do when making this game is is kind of what my thought is. So for that, I think he did a great job. For me, I just found it to be, you know, like I said, don't want to spoil too much, but just a little bit on the simplistic side. And you can hear more if you want to go to spoilers later in the episode. Okay. Well, I I say I I think all that's fair. And And yes, it is important to always look at it on its own merits, for sure. I will say, and this is one thing I know I can say, because Jamie said it in an interview that I heard him say, I believe, that he wanted it to be start out like Lords of Waterdeep, which is a gateway worker placement game, and go to something like Aura et Labora, which is a heavier, not real heavy, but a heavier Uwe Rosenberg game. And to be honest, I don't know that it does get that heavy. So that I'll say that about the the gameplay. So if that was the if that was the intent, I, I don't know that it did get that uh, intricate or complicated. So I, I'm kind of with with you guys. It it's it wasn't nearly as heavy maybe as I expected it to be, uh, but maybe that's an unfair expectation. Uh, but if if it is what Jamie wanted for it to be like or at Labora, I don't think it re- reaches that. So. Yeah, I definitely don't think it hit that. I think it probably hit Lords of Waterdeep with the expansion mm-hmm. overall okay. level of complexity. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, so let's talk about variability and re- replayability really quick. Clef, what did you think about that? Because this will be interesting because you have a recharge pack too. I don't feel like the variability or replayability are necessarily there. Um, I know that one of the things that was hyped about this game is when you get done with the game the 12 games of playing the legacy part you would then still be able to have your own unique board 
that you could play, which was one of the things I was like, wow, that just seems amazing. But I mean, I, I, I'm never going to play the game again uh, with the finished product. So for me, the variability replayability, uh, not there. That's, that's as much as I'm going to say before spoiler time. Okay. And Richie? I'm in the same boat. The replayability, like uh, Clef said, this the, this whole uh, pitch on this one, like the twist on the on Legacy, was that after it's all said and done, you're gonna have a game that you can play, and that's true. I don't want I don't want to play that game. The mechanism that they put in there to increase that variability, I just was not impressed with. So overall, I think in theory the replayability is there, but the execution of it just I, I just found lackluster okay yeah I, I have to say uh, some of the same echo some of the same comments because it, it should be said too we we've, we've just talked about this earlier in the podcast but there is there are not very many times that the three of us get together and play one game 12 times I mean we have played a lot of games and we have played them uh, you know we have played them a lot of times together but 12 times is a lot of us for for a lot for us to play a game all together. Now we play play games a lot in different groups and stuff, but the three of us all together do not play a game 12 times very often. So that's something to consider too. But yeah, I'd have to say you know, the the finished product it's not like Pandemic Legacy where they say you're not really going to be able to play this much again, but uh, I would say I'm not I'm not really that interested since I feel like I've explored what there was to explore in this game. Yeah. I will say one nice thing about it, the time that it took to complete a game. Um, I tried playing Seafall with a couple of other guys and couldn't even complete that because, you know, a whole other subject. But the time on that game was forever to complete a game. Where Charters, I mean, think, I think there was twice we got three games in in a night which was nice for us to be able to get it completed. Yeah. So I'll give it that. <laughs> All right. We got four games. We got four games in one night for sure. Yeah. Was it four? Four yeah. in one night. <laughs> yeah. All right. So there you go. <laughs> okay. So let's go to uniqueness. Uh, is it, is there anything that this game does that is unique? Well, it's certainly unique in the fact that it's a legacy game and there's not a lot of them out there and it's a Euro legacy game. Yeah. And I think there are some things, like I said, in its production design, it's I think it's unique. Now I haven't played Seafall, but Clef, did didn't you think in this way that the the way the index cards were handled and the way that you referenced them and everybody had their own box was that any different from Seafall? Not greatly. I mean, Seafall, same type of thing. When you would you know hit a certain spot, you would just go find a card and you would read that card or put up new goals or whatever for the new game. So it wasn't really super unique in that point. All right. Well, I think we've kind of talked about as much as we can talk about without really, really spoiling it. And we just don't want to do that. But we do want to give our rating for those that are interested in the game but don't have, uh, don't, don't want to have it spoiled yet in case they would like to play it. So, Richie, can you go over the, the rating scale and then we'll, we'll give our ratings? Sure. So we have a six-point scale. Uh, one being the game is trash, throw it away, burn it. Two is a game that we don't necessarily like, but we could definitely see someone else enjoying it. Three is an average game, not a keeper in the collection, but if someone put it on the table and everyone wanted to play it, we would definitely play it again. Four is a game worth owning, love it, but definitely need more plays of it. 
5 is a great game, possible top 10 for the year, and we'll actively try to get people to play. And then 6 is a rare game, Hall of Famer, uh, top con or contender for our top games of all time. All right, so start us off with your rating, Richie. Like Chad was saying, it's rare that we all, all three of us, so in, in this case, all four of us, Josh was in our game, get to play a game 12 times. And I think that that also played into where my, my rating is going to go. So the first three games, I would I would have rated this a four overall. It was a, a great experience opening stuff and going through that. Mm -hmm. Then the next three games, it would have dropped down to a three. And I wish that it would have stopped at six games, honestly. But unfortunately, there were six more games. And so that took it down to a two for me. It just kind of got repetitive. And I, I just have no desire to play this again. I could definitely see other people enjoying the experience. But for me, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to play the game that we had left over at the end. So that that's where I'm at. That's where I settled at was a two. And like I said, once we started getting towards the end of those 12 plays, I was like, we could have been playing Lorenzo. We could have been playing, you know, name any game that we all love that we don't get to play 12 times. So I, I think that, oh, that, you know, that um, almost like resentment started to build up against this game that we were playing it so many times. And it just wasn't doing it for me. Okay. Damn so. you, Charterstone. <laughs> All right. Well, Clef, give us your feelings. Well, I am going to echo a lot of what Richie just said. And why, Richie, that was like the perfect thought process of exactly what it was for me. First three games, I really thought, ooh, this is really cool. I was excited about it. I was really looking forward to playing it again. Uh, the next few games, I was like, uh, this is kind of blah, 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 getting kind of samey type of thing. And then the last six games, it was uh, let's hurry up and just get this game done. And so we can move on to play a, a different game, which, yeah, it, it's, it's disappointing because, boy, I, I thought when I bought this game, this game was going to be such a slam dunk that I purchased the recharge pack with it so that you could flip the board over and start a whole new game. And that recharge pack is is never going to get used. Uh, there is zero chance that I'm ever playing it again. It's a two for me. It's definitely a game that I can see other people in loving and enjoying and, and finding to be a great game. And that's great. And I'm happy for them. But in for me and the type of games that I need to, you know, stimulate that feeling of the puzzle, Charterstone just didn't didn't make it for me so two is is my final rating for the game okay well i'll round it out here with my thoughts uh i can understand where you guys are coming from and i i felt some of that too i will say that it took me a little bit longer to feel some of that it it just didn't go ultimately the places that i was hoping that it it would i will say because we really haven't talked about it much and i don't think it's spoiling it i have heard from a lot of places a legacy should be you know heavy story and you get surprised by where the narrative is going and stuff like that i didn't feel like there was a, a lot of that in this game that didn't bother me because i could i kind of had heard the re the advanced reviews so i knew that this was just sort of a build as you go euro basically without 
thinking too much about the story. Now, there's still a story, don't get me wrong. It just didn't seem as twisty and turny as something like Pandemic, for example. And I don't think Jamie meant it to be, to be honest with you. But I was pretty energetic for the first six games and really enjoying all that. But the way that the game changed and the way that we played sort of slowed down the machinery, so to speak, and and really, really changed over time. And I feel like... Yeah, if it had been shorter for us, that probably probably would have been would have been better and and would have reflected better on the game overall. I think though it's very difficult for me to do this cuz I I really enjoy most of Jamie Stegmeier's games and Viticulture is probably my number 1. I would have to give this a 3. So it's a little bit higher than you guys and let me explain. I I actually I don't want to own the game, but I could find find it, you know, I would play it again with a few people. I would play it with my my family if if we had this game, you know, I would play I play this game with my family just for the idea of opening up the the crates and that sort of stuff. If my son was a bit older, he he's not old enough I don't think to get real far into it. But I think that that aspect of it when we were doing that was was really fun. But again, I still, it ultimately has to be a pretty low three for me, unfortunately. So those are our, those are our reviews, our scores. We got a two from Richie. We got a two from Clef and a pretty low three from me. So those are all our final thoughts and ratings on the game. Before we get to any spoilers, we'll do that in a second. Clef, please tell our listeners one more time uh, how to uh, contest, contact us or if they want to vote on our lists or send an email or just ch- chat or even just argue with us about how incredibly wrong we are about Charterstone or life in general. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, so to get a hold of us, first of all, if you want to email us once again, that's uh, punchboardparadise at gmail.com. Um, you can get to us on Instagram. We're at, at Punchboard Paradise. Our Twitter is Punch Borders. And then you can also go to our Facebook page, which, once again, Punchboard Paradise, and go to Board Game Geek and go to our guild page, 3227. And please, uh, you definitely, I mean, our, our opinions, we like to hear other people's opinions on what they think. And maybe you guys found something different that maybe that we didn't do. So, yeah, definitely let us know. Okay, and so now on to the spoilers. So that's your that's your big red sign there. Listen no further if you bah, do not want to hear spoilers bah, on Charterstone. Bah, Get out of here. Bah. Seriously, shut it off if you haven't <laughs> finished the game or don't want to know more. Okay, now you've been warned. All right, Richie, you've had a really hard time biting your lip. So why don't you <laughs> why don't you let it out? Uh, you got into it with the story, or as far as like a legacy game, in my opinion either has to have a compelling story that takes you along for a ride, or there needs to be something exciting in that box that you just have not seen before. And I don't I don't know. I think Chad is the forever king now. I don't know. Yep. I don't care. You can the you sto- can call me that in perpetuity, please. But what? I I don't even remember that part. What now? Oh, did he end up something at the yes, end? Yes, I became okay. the Forever like King, Clef. <laughs> sure. Okay, great. You you totally backed off on that the day after and you stopped referring to me as that. So I let it slide, but I shouldn't have. <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, that's the story is just not compelling. And then I think what was supposed to be like the big mid game component reveal was that tea light candle. <laughs> 
Would you say that that was uh, was supposed to be like the big reveal at some point? Uh, I I think that that was teased as like a very unique thing. It was so, and you know, to be honest, I mean, I don't know any other board game that has done that. So, yep, it's unique. <laughs> but I think I guess so. I'll actually say that that ended up being one of my favorite components because that was the fastest game we played. <laughs> we were cooking. we were no one wanted that light to go out on them, so we I mean we burned through that game. If there's anybody who's listening to these spoilers that hasn't played the game, there's a point in the game where you have to light a candle, this little tea light candle, before you start the game, and it says something like, "If the light goes out on your turn, something bad happens to you." So we were all just flying through this game, trying to make sure as fast as we could possibly go. I think we finished it, and I don't think the candle burned out for another half an hour or something after we finished the game. Yeah. Or, I don't know. Yeah. Did you blow it out eventually, Richie? I can't even remember. I think, uh, no. I've heard it, of games it was where still going when we that. finished. I've heard of games where yeah. people just intentionally blew it out. Oh. Nice. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> so, real quick here, for me, getting into the spoilers... The problem for me with the game, and because you guys know theme is so unimportant to me, I could even care less. It, it could have had some cool theme, and I probably wouldn't even have noticed. It, for me, is game mechanics. And like I said earlier, the first few games were kind of interesting because we were opening up new stuff, trying to figure out what's going on. You really don't know, oh, is this a good building, a good sticker to put on the board? Oh, I don't know. Oh, should I go and do this? It was interesting, and I was kind of excited about what was going on. But literally by game four, five, you know, by six for 100% sure, the game never really changed after that. Right. Even if somebody did open up something or, you know, we got a new building because of just the beginning of uh, around one of the extra people that we didn't have would put out a new building. It never changed the game. The game became exactly the same game for the last six games we played. And the game's not all that thought provoking. I mean, it's. You could just start an engine, and it's not like you were really ever blocked off of a spot. So it's not like, a, oh, I better get to that spot before, you know, Richie does or Chad does or other ones I won't get it. No, I mean, you just went there. I mean, really the biggest thing was you didn't want to bump somebody so that they got their person back quicker. Or, you know, of course, Chad with his 75 cats, you didn't want to go to the spots with the cats <laughs> right. because, of course, then he got an extra point. Yeah, um, fear the that cat, was it. Man. Yeah, fear of the cats. Uh, fear of Detroit. That's right. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was the name of my village. Anyway, that yeah. Let's not discuss the name of my village. Um, <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts of the game, though. <laughs> and most people who have played one game know that that the, that the losers get to name the village of the the person who won wins the first game. So that's that's a great. I like that a lot, actually. All right, all right. Go go ahead and tell them what the name of my. Well, we town gave was. you a choice between Poop Town and BM Town, and you chose the classier BM Town. <laughs> come on down to bm town <laughs> another big gripe was that if people came to your building you got nothing for it until we had unlocked the minions the minions and that still you would have had to have put down a minion first for that to activate minions by the way are, are, are little kind of ancillary workers that give you certain benefits for putting them down and picking them up sometimes and especially uh would also uh, coincide with certain cards that you or abilities that you might have, but those could usually only be used in your own town too. So, right, and then you get a benefit if someone goes to a, a spot where your minion is; they don't get bumped. Correct. But before we got the minions, like I had the like the progress track and that progress track, whatever the the boat track was for in-game scoring, uh, where right. you score like I think that might have been 
Was that called the progress track? A reputation like track. No. That's right. Reputation. Reputation That's track. Right. So I had built that building, and you guys were just – I mean – there were games where that's where everyone went until the the reputation track was filled up, and I got nothing for that. And I just don't understand how there was that one game where the guidepost was: if you go there, the person who owns the building gets the resource. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that should have just been a rule that would have made a lot of this a lot more interesting. Now it it may have made Chad's building way overpowered, yeah, the one the nine point one, but I don't know. It just seemed. It, this seemed like that was a missed opportunity. Right. There was just no huge, like I said, there was no huge crunchy puzzle in it to what do I need to do. It was just, you just did what you need to do, and it was just an engine. And, you know, uh, for the most part, um, Chad had, you know, the, a little bit better of an engine. And it was, I think, by the last, like, three or four games, I mean, there was no doubt that Chad was going to win every single game. And it wasn't anything that we were doing wrong. It was just his engine was tuned and running, you know, ha- had better how it was going. And, and that's all there was to it. So there was no game. I had a, I had a better synergy than you guys. And, and you know, it, was, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest, it wasn't necessarily something I, uh, you know, I, that I, I lucked into. But I also, some of it I didn't necessarily plan either. Like the cats at first, I wasn't sure how that would work out for me. But then when I saw the buildings with the, huge victory points and money generating machine that kind of synergized really well. And I could see what was happening. And I will say that I raced out in the beginning to try to build the most buildings right away. I, I, the, for the first three games, I had probably had most of my spaces covered and then I kind of slowed down and cooled it. And that was when I got to run my engine more. Right. And that's another thing in this game where it, it feels like you are punished if you do legacy things in this game. So, like, I, I took the time to get high point buildings to get out there. And, I mean, when you, when you take the game to, to do that, you are, <laughs> I mean, you, you're being pushed back. Because in the end game, uh, as far as the points that you score, your buildings don't really make up that much of your points. And if you take the time to open a crate, by the time you get that crate open, the game has ended. And now all those cards that you got just go back to the general pile. Well, and you don't to, for the most part. To be fair, you can capacity. get some. Like I found some good personas in my early crates, which really helped me. And those personas I could use all the way through. So. Well, see, now I would be interested because there are people saying because you were the purple faction. Mm-hmm. There are people that are saying that that faction has an advantage. So I would be curious, who you know, listeners who have finished Charter Stone. You know, did they feel that same way? Because you get first crack at the cats, yep, and that one building that you ended up getting out. So it'd be interesting. That building, no, no, no. That building that I ended up getting out was not from my my crate necessarily. It was in the because okay. I know that for sure because I've heard other people review the game where they were frustrated because somebody else, not the purple, got that and and was and was using it pretty skillfully. Gotcha. So it's that if you can build that into a particular chain. Now it doesn't. I mean, the cats just amp that up just even that much more. But I right. think you can still get cats too, and you can keep two cats every round if you if you've if you've done that for your for your game. So you that there's still an option to do that, even even Which if you're is not purple. What you yep. did, right? yes. But yeah. even if you're not purple and that's not your native minion or whatever, you can still do that and build that chain. 
True. But once again, I, you having a, you know, whether I think you had an advantage or whether, you know, you had better synergy or whatever, that really didn't make any difference for me in the game. I just didn't feel like there was any decisions in the game. It was just almost like a race where by the, especially by game eight or whatever, everybody knew, okay, this is how I'm going to just try to score points this game. And there was no legacy aspect to it. It wasn't like, a, ooh, I'm still looking to try to open up this. No, it was like, how fast could I get my things up on the reputation track? And then once that was full, it was, okay, how fast can I put things up on the, uh, uh, do you guys remember the name of the thing on the left-hand upper that part? That might have been the progress. Sky Island. Points? Oh, Sky Island. No, What's the, that? Sky Island. Sky, what? Whatever it was, but and then that's just really you went to get. And then other than that, you knew the couple of buildings. You know, Chad had the one where he paid five coins and got nine points or whatever it was. And then there was a couple of other buildings, and that's all there was. That's all you did is you just did those things. There was no like, oh, look at I'm gonna do this 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 time, or I'm gonna block this person. No gameplay whatsoever afterwards. And I'm pretty sure Jamie Stegmeyer is never going to come on our podcast. And talk about it, so. <laughs> I hope hey, that's not Vidi the Culture game. is my number. I was like, Vidi Culture is my number two game. And it's my number I'll one. I'll pump up so. a lot of games for him. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, and it's he's, he's wash, really rinse, nice repeat after a while. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And, and I totally, I, I can agree with that. It did become a race. I think part of that, you know, it depends for everybody also on the pace of their game. So if you're not just totally opening those crates and building those buildings really quickly, like I did at the beginning of the game, then you're maybe having a more leisurely way at which those things are unlocked and which your gameplay changes a little bit, maybe. I don't know if that's the case, but I think it, it's a possibility. Now, did Josh did Josh die in game six? Was it, was it Did he die in game six? Well, he definitely died in one of the games. <laughs> Five or six. Yeah, because that, that was, was like the midway point. Change, yeah. And that was supposed to be a catch-up mechanic, which... I don't know that that helped him really overall. Yeah, I think he forgot to use it sometimes, which is hard too. So, And then when he finally got his real body back, we lost it. And so then he had to stay the ghost because we never found it. <laughs> we physically body. lost it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. Uh, I, once again, and I want to, I feel like I've spent all this time really kind of bashing on this game. It may just not have been for me and the style of play that I was looking for. And, I, you know, I feel like maybe you guys are saying similar things here. And I'm not even quite sure that somebody can make a legacy style Euro game that will be in my wheelhouse. Because I don't need theme, which is what Pandemic, you know, Legacy really strived on. Plus, you know, I mean, the gameplay that people enjoyed with some twists and things like that. You know, I think that had that where to me, it it seems like if you're going to do the Euro aspect, so you don't have the theme, but you're just trying to do mechanics. It's really tough to start a game off as Lords of Waterdeep and turn it into, you know, Oren Labora. I think that's just a really, really tough thing to do. I commend him for trying it. I, I think that the way he went, the game itself, I'm amazed that you're able to create a game that even can come close to this. I'm just not sure that it was for me of what I was looking for. If, uh, hopefully that kind of clears up what I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I think that that's really really where where we're going with it. I don't think that it's very easy to 
to balance one of these things and play test one of these things. And again, you know, and you heard from two different people too. I mean, Richie was like, there was no story. It wasn't enough story. And, and Clef just said, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't need story. I just give me, give me some good mechanisms, you know, but, but I, I know Richie, what you're saying is that there wasn't enough of either for you there. So I understand. Right. And, and after I've watched, you know, I've gone through and watched a bunch of spoiler reviews and stuff like that. And, uh, Tom Vassell from the Dice Tower, he went and just bought, or he took his recharge pack and essentially just opened it up and kind of built his own board. He mm. didn't go through the whole campaign again. And I almost wish that that's how the game <laughs> was sold, where buy this game, create your own Euro game or whatever. Um, but you wouldn't know how to, I mean, he had the knowledge of knowing say, how, how to know? build it yeah. in a way that would be fun for him to play afterwards. I just, do you really think that all of the buildings that came out, they're almost all just resource conversion? I don't really think that, I mean, there's yeah, nothing that that's. I don't know how him putting it together. How is that? I don't see how that's going to be any different or any more fun. No, I'm just saying if you didn't go through a campaign and you, you know, we sat down one night and we created our own board from the beginning and, you know, we don't have those 12 games. So we have the excitement of putting together our own game. And then we played it a couple of times and put it back on the shelf. We would think way more high of this game if that had happened. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I kind of disagree. I think I think you still want to open that stuff up in game. I think probably what makes more sense to me is if we had just played like four or five games opening the stuff in game. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna be with Chad on this one. I, I don't think so either. I don't think that would have made it any better for me. I, I was thinking to myself, one thing that I wish maybe would have been better is more of a reward for open, opening up new legacy stuff. I don't feel like the reward was big enough. Like, I almost feel like you couldn't win the game if you, you know, there should be a rule. You, you can't win the game if you don't open up some legacy aspect of it, you know, in, in, a, in a game. To at least force you to not just go after the super race, but to... To do that, I don't know. Maybe that's not going to work either. But just something there, I, I, I think, needed to be to make the game more legacy as opposed to what it was. Well, and I think the personas were supposed to be your reward. Yes, they were for the most part. And you have to find those, and and, and you know that's the hard thing. Is it's sort of luck of the draw at some points when you open up a crate. You hope that you get something that's going to be real useful for you. Yeah, but for me, I got that persona that just allowed me anytime that I didn't have a minion in front of me, I got to, you know, pick everything up, which, I mean, it was like I never used another persona for the rest of the right. game. I mean, there was no persona that was going to even come close to as good as that. So there was no, I didn't even feel the need to open up any more crates after I had that persona. It, there was there was just no need. Well, you still got friends and stuff like that, I think, too. But yes, I understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah but yeah. then you lose them at the end. And then there was that whole thing where, you got that companion that was in love with you or whatever, and I made mine Kate Upton, and she was in love with me, and then there was nothing more with it. Right. Legacy. Oh, yeah, we could have tortured them or uh, be nice yeah. to them. Over Clef, that's, a, that's a different kind of legacy game. You can, you, can play that one. Oh, oh. you can play that one all by yourself, I think. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, overall, it just it seemed disjointed as far as some of the mechanisms, like the peril tokens. I, there was no peril. Like what? What was yeah, bad about the tokens? You, no, you wanted them. You wanted to get them. Yeah, it, it you needed them. It would have been them. a better mechanic to say, 
you get them and it's a bad thing for you at the end right. of the and game. And they're you know, called famine like, ah. and you know whatever yeah. else in it. Yeah. They weren't bad except for one, maybe one game that they were bad. Maybe there was a guidepost that made them you, bad. You just couldn't pick them up. I think you just couldn't pick them up or something. And you, mm. I can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah. But you're right. Otherwise, it just was a. They were an extra thing to grab to do what? Convert them into points. That's all they were. Right. And then, and I didn't get to talk about this during our regular review, but as far as the art style and the thing that kind of threw me off is that it just seemed like a very disjointed fantasy world. Like there's gold butlers running around silver robots golems for some reason it's just an <laughs> odd cats. mix of characters that <laughs> i didn't understand uh, which is fine i mean if you want to try something different i don't care but it, it just seemed weird as far as i don't know it just seemed odd yeah uh, well you guys about ready to wrap this up i, I don't know if there's anything more we can no say. i think we've kind of fully covered our thoughts so Hopefully, everybody that uh, tuned into the spoilers enjoyed this and got their information that they wanted. But uh, I think that's all we've got for episode four, right? Yep, that's it. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Turn in in two weeks uh, for episode five, where the punch boarders will discuss their recent plays. And our next draft is going to be filler games. So games that we would play as kind of a quick little... uh, waiting for the main attraction to happen. So filler games is what we're going to be drafting next episode. Thanks everybody for listening and have a great night. Good night guys. Thanks for listening.